Welcome to the What A Word podcast, a podcast where you can be encouraged, inspired, and uplifted. Join us weekly as we have real conversations with real people overcoming real obstacles. We guarantee you that as you tune in weekly, you will join us in saying, wow, what a word. And now here's your host, Ryan Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Water Word Podcast. I'm thankful that you've joined me on this journey. And my hope is that I've not let you down. That from the conversations with my guests, you've connected something to your experience. Something that's reminded you of the hope for the future. That notwithstanding your past, you can have a great testimony. Something that's affirmed you. Something that's reminded you that you're not alone in this season. I'm excited about this conversation. My guest is Miss Erica Fraser. She's a content creator, an author, a blogger, and a higher education professional. Her background is in public health. She has a master's in public health from the George Washington University, and she currently serves at the George Mason University as a higher education professional. I believe she has a word for someone today. And I'm excited. I believe you'll be encouraged. Thank you for joining me. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Erica Fraser, to the Waterwork Podcast. Welcome, Erica. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. All right. I am excited about this because, as you know, this podcast I think the goal of this podcast is to have conversations that inspire. And I have been paying attention to your content for some time. Uh, You write, you have a a book, a lucid, you have a letting go guide, you have essays. And I believe your work, your offering speaks to a wide audience. So before getting into that, I just wanted to talk to you about the current season do you find reasons to be grateful in this season? I think I have a lot of reasons to be grateful right now. Um, The main one is that, you know, despite everything going on outside, um, I still managed to maintain my job. (laughs) I still managed to maintain um, my apartment and my living space. And though like the vibe of it has kind of changed since I work from home now, like, I still have the ability to live the way that I want. Um, You know, a lot of people's lives have been impacted by COVID and lost loved ones. I haven't lost anyone like um, in my immediate family. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, But I'm also grateful that I've been able to like prioritize rest. Like since I work from home now, I've kind of been able to create my own schedule um, and definitely allow for more stillness in my life, like just due to lack of travel, have a better way to like wake up and just start the day. And so things like that. Good points, good points. Tell listeners, what do you do day to day? What is your current job? Um, so right now I do marketing and communications um, for George Mason University. I work in the housing unit and sometimes I also work in university life projects. So just a lot of like target messaging for college students to get them to either participate in our programming um, 
or use some of our university life resources. Um, and the overall goal is just to get our students to make better decisions and for themselves and for the greater Mason community. And you have a master's in public health. Is, yeah. is, is this a, a transitioning point for you? <laughs> um, kind of. So when I was an undergrad, I wanted to be a doctor. Did not work out, wasn't for me. <laughs> and I found public health while I was there. And then after that, you know, I was a health educator for two years. Once, one year in the South Bronx and one year out in Harlem. And I thought it was a lot of fun. It's just that when you're working with elementary and middle high school students, there's not a lot of autonomy there and you consistently have to go through their parents if you wanna see them make any sustainable change. And so I was like, you know, I really wanna work with college students because I know I wanna work with young people in general. So then when I went to get my master's, I was really active and involved at George Washington. And I worked um, with a lot of the undergrad students and I decided I wanted to keep this population, but I was just gonna need more um, time working with the population. And so I stayed in higher ed. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, should I just go back into strictly public health? I was like, no, I should just stay in um, higher ed because it's what I enjoy the most. And so I've just been here ever since. I spent two years as a resident director. I've been in this assistant director role as marketing communications for like two years. And now I'm trying to find a way to get back into student health on a college campus. And so just some job searching and seeing what's out there and hopefully something sticks. I want to touch on something I saw on your page and, and it piqued my interest in addition to your offerings. Uh, it says, I create content for people that are learning how to love themselves and um, may need some encouragement and advice along their journey. Yeah. When did the writing start? <laughs> so um, growing up, I had in high school, um, well, all my life, I've really been into art and creativity. So I like drawing and all those things. But in high school, I wrote my first short story um, and I really liked it. I tried to use that story as my college essay, but my um, teacher said I needed to write something different, which was understandable at the time. Um, so I didn't really pick up writing um, in undergrad again because I was just super busy, but I was always reading. And then in, soft, in my senior year, during the summer, I was just really stressed out. And one of my friends was just like, hey, have you tried writing about your experience? And I was like, no, but I'm like, I might as well give it a shot. I'm not really doing anything else. And I spent like a day in the library just writing all about how I was feeling, my experience. And I remember really enjoying it. Um, I started writing again because after a while, I was like, you know, I think I just want to start a blog. But I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to blog about. I thought I was going to blog about um, being Black, being a Black woman specifically. Um, then I thought I was just going to blog about popular culture. And I try to write um, blogs like that that I never shared with anyone. But for some reason, I just didn't really like them. Um, then when I was at Mason, I met a graduate student who was a blogger. And she was really like growing her platform. And I was like, this is my time to like try like one, I'm gonna take it as a sign from God that I met a blogger and she's on my team. And I was like, two, like maybe I can speak to her and just find out how she did it. And she was like, you know, you do it just by trying and <laughs> you do it just by starting. Um, and so I decided to start, but even when I started, I didn't necessarily know what I was gonna write about. At the time I was just writing about things that 
I was thinking about a lot and I guess were important to me. Um, I realized that I struggled with sharing. I wouldn't call it vulnerability at the moment. I just really struggled with um, talking about myself. And I through a conversation with someone, I realized it was stopping me from really connecting with people because anytime I spoke to someone, I always made the conversation about them, right? And mainly I didn't have anything to share about myself. And the person pointed this out to me when they were like, so what are you doing right now that's bringing you joy? And everything I was doing was connected to somebody else's happiness and fulfillment. None of it was necessarily connected to me. And so on top of just needing a place to share, I was like, maybe this blog will be the one thing for me that I have for me. And that's when I was just inspired to start it. And the content, the content was just what I was thinking. You seem to have found your voice and in finding your own voice, you've allowed readers to connect with the obstacles that they may be dealing with in terms of amplifying their own fears, anxieties, hurts, concerns. And I wanted to ask you about your audience because as I read your writings, I'm making some assumptions. So I want some clarity, if you could. <laughs> All right, so, so, so I'm thinking you have a wide audience and, and you know I, I, I'll ask you this way the audience that connects with your writing, did you have them in mind when you started out? Or did you have a moment where you were like, I had no idea it would be so impactful? I really had no idea. And I think that's just coming from the way that I viewed myself at the time. But because I didn't think I was impactful or had the ability to do that, I didn't think my writing would do that either. Like I didn't think people would connect to it the way that they did. So it was a pleasant um, surprise when it did happen. Um, but I think in terms of like who I'm writing for, I think I'm writing for the person that I wish I had when I started this journey with self-love and self-worth. Because I knew that something was wrong um, when I kept making the same um, poor decisions. And it really did start from a dating concept. I was like, I keep making these poor dating decisions. Something is going on here. Like I wasn't even thinking about it as broadly as I'm thinking about it now. And I was like, I need to change so I can find better partners. <laughs> but then I realized like, um, like a year or two later, cause that was in 2017 and I started my blog in 2018. And I realized in 2018, I needed do better so I can have a better relationship with myself and so I can feel better about myself. Um, not for anybody else, but just for me and do this for me. Because I think a lot of times, like even when you see like self-love quotes, it's like nobody will love you until you love yourself. But the goal shouldn't be to get other people to love you, right? The goal should be for you to feel more at peace and more confident and empowered with yourself. Um, and that's something that I just realized if I was going to make any sustainable change, because um, this is going to be something that I have to take throughout life, like this journey. It doesn't just stop because I get into a relationship. Um, and so when I'm thinking about my audience, that's really who I'm writing for, because when I started, I was like, how to love yourself. That's what I'm putting into Google. <laughs> and if you put that into Google, like some good things will pop up, but then you'll see self-care, self-love, take a bubble bath, 
um, do like a self-soothing activity, but self-care is really when you make the decision to consistently perform actions that don't result in self-sabotage. When you consistently do things that help you live a better life. It's not spending your last money on clothes <laughs> when you know you need it for rent, right? It's about thinking intentionally about your future and planning out a life that you know you're going to enjoy. Um, little things like that. And so that also just starts from a place of valuing yourself enough to even be intentional, intentional about the decisions that you're making to put yourself in a better position in life. And so where does that come from? Like that has to come from radical self-love and um, just strong self-worth. And so that's who I'm writing for or the messaging that I'm putting out. So as we speak about connecting, here are my assumptions, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Here are my assumptions. Yeah. Your audience um, could include, but not be limited to domestic abuse victims, uh, people with low self-esteem, uh, people mm -hmm. dealing with microaggressions, and um, people who, as you've indicated earlier, are probably um, blaming themselves for relationship failures as well. Yeah. Could you talk to me about what you found <laughs> in terms of your audience? Well, I think like that would make sense um, because what really sparked that for me in the relationship realm was being in an emotionally abusive relationship, not realizing it until I got out and trying to figure out how I ended up in that situation so I wouldn't end up there again. <laughs> Right. And so that takes some real like examining of like, one, your past. So me going back to my past, going back to my childhood um, and just really dealing with um, trauma and just feelings that I just kept bottled away or trying to fix um, familial patterns in my romantic relationships. Um, and also um, just me addressing the relationship that I had um, with romantic love and just love in general, in terms of thinking that if the people around me, um, if I poured a lot of energy into the people around me, right, then I would have a better life. And that's something that like comes from childhood, where if I create circumstances for my parents to be better, right? Then in turn, I will have a better and easier life, which makes sense when you're a child because you're dependent on your parent for survival. But as an adult, like it just doesn't work, right? And you shouldn't have to do that in childhood. That shouldn't be like your reality. But if that's what you experienced, you'll take that pattern into adulthood and you'll end up overvaluing the people around you, hoping that if you do that, your life in some way will just magically fix itself. Your journey towards transparency, how was that for you? Because you're you're giving family history, you're giving relationship history. Uh, <laughs> to... <laughs> in our culture, it's um, certain things are kept in the house. Like this is what belongs in the house. You don't go outside and you spread family business. But to be honest, um, those things that you're not sharing, right, could probably be the most hurtful things, but it also doesn't create the pathway for you to be honest 
about what's going on in your life and be able to be honest with other people. There's such shame about what you experienced in childhood, even though most of it are things that you just didn't have control over. You couldn't control the family you were born into. That was just like by happenstance, but um, going through the process and having to be silenced about what you're experiencing doesn't give you the chance to really validate how you're feeling or give you the opportunity to really move on from it. Because if you're gonna move on from things, you have to address them face forward, like, and just hop in it. I had to learn like what story was mine versus what story was my parents. And I was reading this book on memoir because when I started writing, I bought a whole bunch of books on writing and was studying writing. Cause I was like, I didn't go to school for writing what makes me think I'll be a good writer. (laughs) And so if I'm gonna do this, I should at least put some practice in. And one of the books that I was like, just imagine it like there's a scene um, happening on the other side of the door, right? So you're standing on the door where it's locked and the other people are inside. And so you can't describe what's happening in the room because you're not in the room, but you can describe what it's like to be standing on the outside of the room and listening in. And so that was how I learned to own my story because at the end of the day, it is my story to tell the part that is mine. And I can't be too caught up on how other people are going to feel because it's my experience in my journey. And if I continue to be caught up on how people feel, that's once again, me prioritizing the needs and wants of other people over my needs and self. Excellent points. So I, I, I wanna bring out an excerpt from one of your writings that have inspired me. <laughs> Uh, you state, it may be hard to believe, but one day you'll be like, okay, with being understood happiest when you're in solitude, grateful some doors remain closed, proud that you spoke up, at peace with your past, thankful that relationship ended, confident while knowing you're a work in progress. What inspired that peace? I think I was just doing some late night writing and that's typically when I write. So just doing some reflection and those are the things that just came to me. Um, And honestly, I spend a lot of time in reflection. So probably after thinking about it for three days, (laughs) I was just writing and like it just flowed together. And so I shared it, Um, but yeah. I think that's where I'm at right now personally as well. Like all of those things are ringing true for me which I never thought would have been true before. I used to spend a lot of time um, trying to explain myself, hoping that if I explained myself enough, people would get and understand me and maybe that would lead to connection. Um, I used to really want certain things in life. And you know, when you really want something, you're praying for something, you're hoping that it happens and then realized now that where I am, I'm grateful that those things didn't happen for me because I'm in a better place than I probably would have been had those things have happened. Um, proud that I spoke up because I used to spend a lot of time um, afraid to say things and afraid to upset people. Um, And so I never said things to people um, out of fear that things would go wrong. But then, you know, sometimes when you don't say things, (laughs) um, it could lead to even worse outcomes because you're not being totally honest within the moment. And so even if I did speak up and that relationship was severed, Um, I'm still proud that I did it because that was me taking a stand for myself. And so all these things are just true for me now. 
and once again, it's like, I'm sharing this in hopes that maybe it'll be true for somebody else. And if it's not true for them right now, they'll know that it's possible. As a part of your service, your offerings, are you encouraging directly or indirectly individuals to uh, seek therapy for trauma hurts that they may be experiencing? Is that part of what you see your, your service as, as, as a writer? Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't speak about it directly in what I post on my content only sometimes, but sometimes people will DM me or they'll text me on the side and I will encourage them to um, speak to someone. Cause I'm like, you know, in therapy, you'll have the opportunity to speak to someone who's solely focused on listening to you and validating your experience. And they will continue to ask the questions that, they'll continue to ask you the questions um, that will help you reveal some patterns in your life and help you get to the core of, you know, why you are having this issue and problem. And you will know that it's something that through having a consistent, um, someone consistently to check in and you having a checkpoint during the week where you know you'll get to address your problems that you're more likely to address it. Like for me, um, I didn't go to therapy, but it's something I want to start doing now because I realized that I've reached a wall with myself in terms of how much I can help myself. Um, and I also just know that having a having like just one day a week where I know I'll get to address things will stop me from ruminating, which is a pattern that I have that I'm consistently trying to break. But it'll also give me more like mental space to be like, let me write this down um, now rather than addressing it within myself because I know on Monday I'll get to speak with my therapist about it. Culturally speaking, you and I are from same faith community, same culture. Do you find that your generation is a little more receptive to seeking that type of help in, in your discussions or? Yeah, I think that it's more something that people consider. And I think it's become normalized to the point that we will not um, stigmatize other people if they tell us that they have gone to therapy. Now, whether we will go to therapy ourselves, I'm not too sure. Yeah, but we will not like, we will not tell people you should just go to church <laughs> instead of going to therapy. And we will not make people feel bad or make them feel quote unquote crazy for needing to speak with someone. Yeah. Is it, how is it for your generation? I, I think my generation carried the same sentiments from generations before where we saw it as something for people who were on the uh, severe uh, mental health spectrum, um, but not, not something uh, individuals would seek out who were just having what we like to term regular problems. But as you've identified and amplified, our regular issues stem from family, uh, the way we saw our families cope yeah. with issues and the way we've also internalized um, our own issues or our lack of forgiveness for our own selves. We haven't forgiven ourselves for decisions we've made yeah. in the past and we don't believe addressing that is, is helpful. Um, so, you know, my generation has an issue, I believe with forgiveness as well. And that's <laughs> compounded by, um, by 
the the way the faith community sometimes teaches us to deal with uh, mistakes and um, addictions and um, sometimes the faith community would have you believe that um, these issues can be solved primarily um, spiritually yeah. and and that's the end all so I, I think the generation now is probably a little more receptive but um, it's hard to say I, I see more individuals uh, being transparent about getting therapy uh, I've had uh, friends who've uh, indicated the benefits of it openly so I'm I'm, I'm I'm sensing sensing a hopefulness where that is concerned, that my generation may be more receptive, and you know, certainly it's 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 a good yeah. sign. Thanks. So um, I wanted to talk to you about your inspiration for writing. Who inspired you as a writer? Um, my favorite writer is um, Bell Hooks. <laughs> I think her book. All About Love is the first time I really saw myself in a book. Um, and it's something that I visit frequently. Um, but I think her transparency and vulnerability in that book um, really spoke to me. Um, I think another writer that I really enjoy is like Melissa Broder. She's also very um, vulnerable in her writing in terms of like talking about her mental health issues and journey with self-love and self-worth. Um, but to be honest, some of the people that really inspired me were just people on Instagram who were using their captions at one point to share like really um, to share more personal things in their life and really show like their journey to dealing with self-love and becoming successful, overcoming like family issues and generational trauma. Um, and I was like, wow, like that's really dope that people are using this platform. And I was like, I think I want to use my platform in the same way. Yeah. So Bell Hooks, and I took a quote from her in preparation for our meeting. She says, no Black woman writer in this culture can write too much. Indeed, no woman writer can write too much. No woman has ever written enough. Does that inspire you on days when you <laughs> don't want to write? Yeah, you know, because when you're on like Instagram, and you're trying to build a platform where they're just a platform anywhere, it can feel like everyone is um, doing what you're doing. Like when you started a podcast, did you feel like everyone had a podcast? <laughs> here's what I, here's what I've learned. Yeah. Cause I knew, I knew the space was crowded, mm -hmm. but after doing it, I, and I got confirmation for this. A friend of mine says, Ryan, there are all types of podcasts and podcasters and individuals are doing different things, but you have your own, and he used the word frequency. So people are going to tap into your frequency. It could be your voice, your mannerisms. Um, there's something that you will be able to offer in that yeah. space. And that yeah. has encouraged me so much because I had no idea <laughs> when I started that, you know what I mean? It's, the journey is its journey, you know, and it's a labor of love. Good question. And like, yeah. same. And one of the things that I love about that quote is somebody said that to me too, was another blogger. She's not a writer. She's like, there's not enough black people, specifically black women doing anything. Like your perception is probably because you follow a lot of black women. And I was like, that is true. She was like, but in the wide world of how many bloggers and writers we have, black women and black people in general are still underrepresented. And so your voice is needed. 
I was like, that is true. Sure. And then, you know, you have my, you know, my Caribbean accent, you know, my dry humor, you know, <laughs> it's needed in this place. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, you know, that's an excellent point. Mm -hmm. So you've highlighted the distinction between purpose and assignment. Walk listeners through that distinction, that tension. Um, that actually happened from a conversation we were having on Clubhouse. And we were talking about what does it mean to be lost and not know necessarily where you're going? And is that a bad thing? And one of the women in the group just spoke up and said, you know, like after a couple of us just shared um, that there's nothing wrong with being lost because we define loss as you're never gonna find your way. When the reality is you could just be making yourself to your next destination. And this one woman was just like, you know, as long as you understand your purpose in life, you'll never truly be lost um, because you'll always have something that is guiding you to where you need to be. And she was like, but the difference is purpose is eternal. Assignment is what's always changing. And so in between assignment, like you can end up wondering if you're in the right, if your purpose is actually what's for you. She's like, but don't fall like for that trap. And I know like we talked about um, Stacey Abrams and I said, I think she was a great, um, she was a great um, representation for that considering that she wanted to be governor of Georgia, right? Didn't work out for her. Um, but she knew that her purpose was much bigger than just becoming governor. Um, and we see that play out in We've seen that play out over the last couple of years, and we've now seen her gain the recognition that she deserves um, for the change that she's truly trying to make um, in Georgia and just in the country. And she is just someone who did not lose sight of her purpose, even though her assignment changed. Like she probably really wanted the governor assignment, but it didn't work out. But then some could argue that maybe she got a greater assignment by flipping Georgia to blue. <laughs> like that's amazing. Um, and she, in order to do that, she had to get out of her ego and let go of the belief that she knew where her assignment at the time was, right? Because maybe Stacey Abrams will become governor, right? Or maybe that's just not for her, but we know that her purpose is impact and it's to have a large scale impact in her community and just in the country. I was saying, wow, with the mic muted, powerful point. So you seem to be highlighting um, perhaps that we need to have this type of openness and um, be malleable in terms of where things could be leading, um, being receptive to, to signals that point to where things could yeah. turn. Um, how much of that for you is um, the voices of other people? Because you speak a lot about mm -hmm. solitude, but in, in terms of the, the malleability of assignment leading to purpose, how much of that includes the voices of people confirming your um, steps? Because I, I see a yeah. tension there. Um, I don't know, I think like that's, that's hard. I, I do believe that other people will be sent as signs to confirm that you are in the right direction. But I think like, but I think you first have to sit with yourself to understand um, 
you have to sit with yourself to understand why you've been given that purpose and why this could potentially be your assignment. Like that can't come from other people because I do think that you have to in some way, shape or form truly connect with it. And that connection can't come from other people validating it. It has to come from within, right? Because like take for example, like us being like creatives and being in this space, like it'd be one thing if other people wanted to do this, it probably wouldn't be as genuine as natural. But first, like the will to do it is coming from within and we've recognized that that's authentic outside of what anybody else has to say. So I feel, I feel like passionate about this and I feel pulled to do this, that even if you weren't here and this recognition didn't come like um, a year from now, <laughs> I still feel pulled to continuously commit to this. Because even when you gave the comment about that person, like I'm pretty sure you've people have reached out to you, but that one comment is the one that stuck out to you and it has kept you going. It's not the hundreds, it's not over 5,000 downloads, it's that one comment, right? That lets you know, I have my own frequency, um, I have my own niche, I have my own thing that I'm pulling here. And I got that one confirmation that if I never got it again, I'm still going to sit down here and keep um, pushing forward. I'm going to keep recording and I'm going to keep going. Powerful, powerful. So now I want to ask you, um, we've touched on forgiveness. Um, in my journey, I, 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 I never imagined I, I would hear or be privy to the trauma of, 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 of individuals that I grew up with. And, mm -hmm. and you've given a powerful quote on forgiveness. Um, Stop punishing yourself for the things you did and behavior you accepted in the past. Forgive yourself so you can heal and thrive. And, and I wanna include in that phrase or that quote, things that may have happened, even though you had no intention for it to happen. So I'm dealing with trauma victims of all types, all sorts, and I'm dealing with individuals who may or may not believe they perhaps deserved what happened to them because of quote unquote, poor decision-making. I, I realize it's a compounded question, <laughs> but I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could speak to that individual who is in that place um, where they're having difficulty uh, forgiving themselves. Mm. Yeah, um, a few years ago, this person, um, Chris Classic um, said, wrote an entire post about like self-forgiveness and he said, I'm just gonna end this by like saying like an affirmation or something that he wrote. And he was like, I accept the fact that I'm a good person. Um, and I thought that was really powerful because I think like some people have a hard time forgiving themselves um, because at the root of it all, they don't think that they're a good person, right? And so we let these decisions that we made define us and we keep going through the cycle of shame. <laughs> and embarrassment, shame, embarrassment, hiding, guilt, shame, embarrassment, hiding, guilt. Um, and we don't just tell ourselves like, you know, it's okay. Like, yes, you made this decision, but this decision does not define you, right? There's a difference between I made a bad decision and I'm a bad person, right? Like, <laughs> and you're not, you're only defined by the decisions that you continue to make, right? You're not defined by the decisions that you no longer make. Um, and we keep ourselves like stuck in this pattern 
and in the shame and we keep punishing ourselves um, for things that we did when we likely didn't know better. And even if we did know better and we didn't do better, that's okay, right? It's all okay. Um, it's all a part of the process of learning and learning and making it um, through life. But if we're ever gonna try to like have healthier relationships with ourselves, we have to, you know, forgive ourselves and accept the fact that we are good people. We are good people that sometimes don't make the best decisions. And that's okay. Um, and if and if we're not, and if we we have to give ourselves like a fighting chance, right? <laughs> we have to give ourselves like the opportunity to just move on because if we don't do it for ourselves, no one will do it for us. And we will continuously put ourselves in situations where other people are punishing us for the things that we did, even though life doesn't have to be that way. Like you don't have to go through the unnecessary suffering of, um, you don't have to go through this unnecessary suffering of continuously punishing yourself for things probably would have pe people probably would have forgotten about right or people probably don't even remember um or things that just um don't really matter anymore and just just honestly it's like and even just our language about something bad happened to you right it's always like this language of well what did you do to make that happen like how did you put yourself in that situation? How could you let that happen to you? And it's like this continuous messaging where we are blaming ourselves for other people's bad intentions as if we had any control over what other people were going to do. Like if someone's coming here to rob you, that's their intention. There's no way around that. They're gonna find the best way to take advantage of you, right? So blaming yourself and other people blaming you for that as if you had control over someone else is people giving you too much power in a situation, right? Like you just, you're not that powerful to get a, a, a poorly intentioned person to change the root of their intentions and you shouldn't be made responsible for that. And so part of that is also just learning what is mine to hold and what is other people's to hold, right? I'm not gonna hold the accountability and responsibility of somebody else. And I'm also not gonna keep putting myself through the process of shame for somebody else's decisions because I don't have to. Right, I'm gonna give that back to that other person and take what I need so that I can move myself out of this situation. And then sometimes it's just hard to forgive ourselves because we have become so attached to that story of being that person. It's like, who am I if I'm not carrying around this shame and this guilt because it's been guiding me in my decision-making for so long that if I let this go, I'd probably have to um, reform who I am and, re and change the way I show up in the world. And that's a good thing right? But if showing up in my shame and my guilt and my pain leads to short-term like benefits as if I'm able to maintain connections to people or I'm able to do behaviors that bring me comfort, I'm less likely to change or I'm less likely to attempt to let that go. And so how do I fall in love with the process of being malleable and being a different person and being reborn <laughs> and being different and starting over? Like, even though that starting over will impact my day-to-day -day life and it will impact my relationships, how do I go through the short-term discomfort of leaning into change to have longer-term and longer-sustained joy and peace? And I think when we get to that place, um, the idea of what they call doing the work and going through the process of self-forgiveness just looks different, right? Instead of it being like, oh, I got to face myself again, it's yeah, I get to face myself again. I get to bring myself to a higher place. I get to bring myself somewhere that I know is going to be better than where I'm at right now. We will return after a short break. 
Traveling Niece Experiences is here to help you create new memories one experience at a time. Contact Traveling Niece Experiences at TravelingNieceExperiences.com. That's the word traveling, N-E-S-E, experiences.com to book your summer 2021 travel. They are ready to help you create your next memorable experience. We have young adults who are, are, are entering a world where they're going to have to deal with uh, emotional abuse, of you, as you've highlighted, physical, otherwise, they may be exposed to that, and also microaggressions. Um, how can we prepare the generations coming behind to know that um, this is not acceptable, as you highlighted, the, the bad intentions of others are not some things we should, um, we have control over, but we should not even accept that as well. How do we prepare them for that thought process? What, what is our role? Do we have a role here? <laughs> I think I think we do. And I think it comes from just nurturing self-love and self-worth um, early on. Um, so people understand, well, so people just understand that, you know, things are not happening to them because they're a bad person and therefore they need to be punished. Um, you know, this is going to be controversial, but I was having this conversation um, with someone and we were talking about faith, this random person on the internet. And it was sparked um, just by a conversation that somebody else was having. And they were like, you know, we come into the world, we are born into sin and because we are these bad people you know we all know how that goes right <laughs> and I was like I completely hear what you're saying and I'm like but how different would it be right if we didn't go through the process of getting you to have a closer relationship to God through shame right I'm like that's I'm like that's very different I'm like do you need to shame people and make people feel that they're fundamentally bad right, in order to get them to choose better for themselves. And I think that comes from a behavioral point of view, since that's what I study. Like, how do we get people to, in the process of decisional balance, to choose what's best through positivity? Like, right, let's say, just take eating, right? If you, if you don't stop eating junk food, you'll probably end up with diabetes. You'll probably end up with a health issue, right? I'm getting you to change through negative affirmation. But what if I said, if you start eating healthier, you'll be able to run better. And then you'll be able to complete that, like that marathon at the end of the year, right? I'm associating that with positivity, right? And I'm like, how um, are we, I'm like, yes, we can all say that this is biblically true because it's in there, but do we have to get people to choose better for themselves from a place of feeling fundamentally bad? Does it have to go that way? Can we empower people to choose better for themselves and form relationships from the standpoint of being, I'm a good person, I deserve good things, right? I'm a good person, right? I want to walk in God's love because I feel like I should be able to tap into that because there's nothing stopping me from reaching out to God and having a relationship with him, right? I'm going to choose better for myself because I should be able to 
you accept good things because I'm fundamentally a good person. So I should have good relationships. I should have good feelings about myself, right? I should feel like I should be in the presence of good people. I should be able to, you know, have access to the best things in life because I'm worthy of that. I'm deserving of that because I'm a good person. Most of us don't have that foundation. <laughs> Most of us have the other foundation of I'm a bad person and therefore I need to prove and I need to work hard and I need to earn and other people need to tell me that I'm deserving and I have to be meek and I have to practice humility all the time. And if I'm going to get something good, I can't be too happy about it. I shouldn't be too proud about it. Maybe I should question this just random act of goodness and why am I deserving? And it's like, how can you make, you're not going to make it through life like that, at least not in a healthy way. <laughs> And you're huge on gratitude as well, to your point. And I think as you've indicated, um, a good gratitude journal or having um, an attitude of gratitude should not come from a place of shame. Yeah, and it's like, and I believe that gratitude like should be real. Like another thing that Jamaican people do is you have to be grateful for everything. I get it, right? But it also leads to false gratitude because you find yourself feeling grateful for situations that you're honestly not happy in. This terrible thing happened to me, but I'm gonna try and find and make the best out of it, right? And I get where that is like coming from. When you grow up in, when some people grow up in like poverty, you have to make the best of what you have. Right. And it's so you don't feel bad about your circumstance. And that's a great survival tactic. Right. But as you move on through life, um, you have to know how to position yourself to get and want better out of your situations. You don't just want to take what's handed to you and try to make the best of it because there is more out there. And if you are accustomed to never looking for more, receiving more because you think it makes you ungrateful, you fall into this process of inauthentic gratitude. You're just being disingenuous. Are you really grateful that you got the scraps? <laughs> it's okay to acknowledge you got the scraps, but you don't have to be grateful for it. It's I'm thankful that I have this, but I'm going to use what I have to get me into a better situation. And that doesn't make me ungrateful. It just makes me someone who knows what they're worthy of and what they're deserving of and what they can have out of life. Because that's really the big difference between people who gain more and achieve more <laughs> and people who are stuck in that cycle of just inauthentic gratitude. So I tell people, like, if you don't have anything to be grateful for, don't say anything, right? But even if you have the smallest thing to be grateful for, I'm happy that I didn't run out of green tea this morning. Celebrate that. <laughs> but don't force yourself to celebrate something that's not true. So I want to talk, Erica, to the, 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 the young person who is inspired by what you do, the writing, the authenticity, the transparency, and maybe interested in um, doing some writing as well. Uh, being a content creator, uh, what would you say in terms of uh, one-on-one suggestions to that individual who uh, wants to use writing as a way to share, to inspire, and to heal, and to uh, encourage others? Um, I guess I would say one tip I got was don't start writing until you're ready to tell the truth, or don't start writing until you're be honest, because people will be able to tell in the writing that something there is just like inauthentic. And so if you're gonna write about these types of topics, like one, be ready to stand in what you say and also be ready to accept that not everybody will connect with it because you're writing about personal things, putting it out there could be a little hard if people don't connect it because you're not just sharing a story, you're sharing part of yourself. 
Um, then I would say, don't share anything on the internet that you're not comfortable with people asking you questions about or just um, anything you haven't made peace with. I think that that's really important <laughs> because then you could be um, putting yourself through another cycle of trauma. Um, I would also to just say, um, be authentic to who you are because there's so many um, articles and books on how to make it on social media and all of these things. Um, but you have to ask yourself, like, what are you really on there for? Are you on social media to be known and to go viral um, and to build like a massive audience? Or, or are you on, you have to just define what you're on social media for um, and make sure you're taking the right actions for that. Um, because with vulnerability and you start putting yourself out there, people will be drawn to you <laughs> and people will want to come and talk to you and ask you things. And so make sure that you also have the appropriate boundaries to handle those types of connections when they come your way. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your offerings, your book, Lucid, and your other essays and your yeah, so <laughs> my book Lucid is just a book of like short writings about myself and like how I got to this journey. I think it's about like 15 pieces in there. It's the first book I wrote. And honestly, when I wrote it, once again, wasn't expecting to have an impact. <laughs> I just wrote it because I wanted to see who was really reading um, my work. And I wanted to start an email list. So even the way that I launched it, like I, I launched it like very frivolously, I didn't really think too much about it. And then afterwards I had to put in the work to write it. But Lucy is my um, first piece. It's actually um, one of my favorite things I wrote because I think it just reflects a promise that I like kept to myself in terms of um, really putting myself out there and finding value in my work. Um, and it just talks about um, vulnerability. It talks about hiding. Um, it talks about being at peace with yourself, um, ending relationships, forming new bonds, um, and just having a healthier relationship with yourself. Um, and then there's the, the letting go guide, which I wrote because I realized that I was holding on to things that didn't serve me. Um, and a couple of people around me were doing the same just based off conversations that I was having. And so parts of the book is advice and like journal questions and affirmations. And some of it is also just short stories of how I saw like these things showing up in my life, whether it was holding on to words that people gave me to find me that didn't ring true with who I was, or whether it was holding on to relationships and seeking validation from them and realizing I was never gonna get that. One, because the person didn't have the capacity to validate me. And two, it was just not a healthy way about going about connecting with someone. Then I have some essays on my page. Um, I have an essay on there about growing up in church and what it was like to let that go of my that part of my life go so I can have the opportunity to form an authentic relationship with faith and spirituality again. Um, then I have one about making healthier like dating decisions for myself and changing the way that I date and defining what I really wanted and moving intention in that space. And then I also just have the content that I write on um, social media. And I have a few pieces coming up. I have a I have an article coming out in this magazine for people of color called Lumen, which I'm excited about. Um, I have another piece that's going to be written on this woman's blog about the journey with yourself and natural hair. Um, so a couple of things like that. 
I, I want to touch on the family uh, aspect because I'm sure that in sharing, you've connected with the experience of um, many Caribbean young people who um, fortunately or unfortunately, after confronting these issues, have come to places where they've just agreed to disagree with their parents. Yeah. How is how was your own journey? Oh, okay. So I think my journey with my parents um, started probably when I was 18. And I think the first piece for me was honestly just admitting that I was disappointed and that I, and that I was kind of just like really upset with my parents for some of the decisions that they made and how it negatively impacted me. And that was my first step in actually like moving forward and healing was just acknowledging how I feel. Because for some people to say that about your parents is like a crime, right? <laughs> They're like, how could you do that? Your parents sacrificed so much for you. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I get that. But if you want to move forward, you have to be authentic. And I was like, listen, like, <laughs> I'm really kind of disappointed and frustrated and angry at y'all for some of the decisions that y'all made and are continued to make and are continuing to make and how it's impacting my life. And if I'm being like really honest, like sometimes I just don't want to do this. <laughs> like maintaining this bond is hurtful for me. And so I need to find a way to reframe this bond. Now that was definitely not easy. You know who my parents are. <laughs> so, so trying to um, do that, it was definitely hard. Um, I definitely feel like times like I was a scapegoat um, I definitely like were, was told some things, um, was definitely threatened to be cut off because I didn't want to do things the way they wanted me to do it. Um, and I don't know where my strength to deal with that was. I think it's just at times like I was able to admit to myself that sometimes um, my family unit was irrational um, from things that they were dealing with. And I also just recognize that everything said doesn't stick. And sometimes people are just saying things because it's just what they're accustomed to, right? I'm like, okay, my family has these dysfunctional behavioral patterns of dealing with people. That's their dysfunction. I don't have to continue that, that's a choice. And if I'm gonna continue to interact, there has to be boundaries being set up. And setting up those boundaries wasn't easy. I didn't always go about it in the right way. <laughs> but I think now like um, me and my parents just have a better understanding, one of who I am. And I think that's important that your parents are able to um, realize that you're not an extension of them, meaning you're not going to act and behave like them. And so there has to be some effort on their part to understand you rather than always thinking that you're going to just seek to understand them and adapt, right? Because we're adults now. So that relationship has to be symbiotic and it has to be something that we're both willing to stretch and um, willing to stretch ourselves for to commit to. Um, I think in terms of like having these conversations with my parents, I haven't had them. And I think that's just me making the assumption that it it probably wouldn't go well. Um, I think I've just accepted that my parents are truly who they are um, and I'm no longer expecting them to be anything different. And if they shock me and they behave differently, like I'll indulge it. <laughs> but when they behave like themselves, I just accept it. Um, because I realized that my parents are people who are just trying to navigate the world the same way I am. They're just using the tools and the resources that they have. Being mad at them does nothing. Um, but being able to address that, that hurt and being able to let it go has just helped me interact with them healthier. And I no longer feel guilt about the way that I choose to interact. Um, when people, and you know, people will always have things to say and comment on and 
like maybe you shouldn't do it that way or you know people are always just going to either one try and get you to do things their way because they're stuck in dysfunction and think everybody should be stuck with them <laughs> they're not interested in watching somebody else let go of those strongholds because then they might feel like well why can't i do it and you know i was reading this thing where it says any type of jealousy or envy or upsetness comes at admiration, starts off as admiration where somebody, um, they see you doing something and like, wow, I really like it. But then the jealousy and the envy and the bad feelings come from when they don't feel like they can do it for themselves. And so their self-efficacy is so decreased that that admiration now turns into something negative. <laughs> Excellent. And, and you know, what you've amplified is that it is possible to love our parents and disagree with yeah the way they get down it's <laughs> yeah and and i think that's just like it's it's healthy like especially as you have to be able to see your parents just as people instead of like superhero figures because if not like i'm like how will you continue to relate to them as you get older and really just see them without being upset at them for things that they just couldn't do and still can't do Awesome points. Things I'm making space for in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> Walk us through that, Erica. Yeah. I'm going to go back <laughs> and go look at what that says. Um, let me see. Oh, yes. Things I'm making space for in 2021. Intentional rest. So for the first month of January, I really did not do anything. I binge watched Netflix. I did the bare minimum. Didn't feel bad about it. And you know, as a content creator, that's just like the worst thing you can do. Not posting, you're irrelevant. Like not doing this, you're irrelevant. You have to stay on. And I'm now saying like, I'm going to intentionally rest before my body shuts me down. <laughs> and I'm like forced to stop doing things because I'm juggling so much. Um, free love. And that's something I've just been trying to prioritize over the past couple of years. Like, you know, love is free and it's abundant and I don't have to perform for it. I don't have to do too much for it. And whatever messaging, like I learned as a child that I had to perform to get people to notice me because they were too preoccupied with themselves. It's okay for me to let that go. If it's not free, I don't want it. Um, limitless joy. Um, and I think that was important because last year, like a lot of people were suffering. And even this year as well. Um, but I think one of the most important things to realize is that you can feel joy even when people around you are suffering and it's okay for you to express that, right? From a real place, like people who are struggling don't want other people to be struggling with them unless they're one of the misery loves company people, <laughs> right? Um, but because not sharing your joy because other people are suffering like isn't empathy. And one of my favorite writers, Natalie Lou, said that, like sometimes people over empathize and they forget what empathy is. And she was like, she uses the example of somebody drowning. You're like, oh, you're walking past a lake and you see somebody drowning. And here you go, like, oh, I don't want them to be alone. So you jump into the lake and now both of y'all are drowning. They were like, if you were truly being empathetic, you would know that that drowning person probably needed like a flotation ring or they needed you to go get someone. And so, it's about having a true understanding of what empathy is. And people that are suffering don't need you to suffer with them. That's not the point. Um, next one, leaning into favor and good things just happening to me and being okay with that and not questioning it. Um, also just being at peace during moments of uncertainty because all last year was uncertain. 
And you saw a lot of people just like, I don't know what to do because I'm no longer in control. And just realizing that in most stances in life, I'm not in control. I'm really only control when it's a me one situation, right? But anything that involves another person is a risk. But how do I create and deepen the relationship with myself enough that even when I'm in these uncertain situations, I'm okay because I know I'll always have myself. Like I'm not having to worry about how much I can trust other people and trust my situation because I know that no matter what happens, I have the capacity to pull myself through this or find the resources that I need to do. And so I can be at peace here because I'm at peace within myself. And then I think another one on that list was just um, nourishing those that I love and just continuing to pour into the people <laughs> that I love and who um, love me um, from a genuine place and love me not for what I can do for them, but love me for who I am and continuing to nourish that. Wow. Awesome, awesome points, great nuggets. Uh, Erica Fraser is a writer, a content creator, an encourager, transparent, authentic. Uh, I believe Erica, our listeners have a lot, a lot of nuggets and I thank you so much for your willingness to share, not only in your journey, but to amplify some of your writings for uh, individuals that may be needing or interested in the content you have to offer, which I believe so many of us uh, could benefit from. I'm honored to be able to go in that space where I can uh, see things that speak to my experience. And, um, you know, and it's, it's guiding me, it's um, encouraging me. And I, I want you to, to give you the opportunity as well to tell listeners how to connect with you on social media. Yeah, you can just um, follow me on Erica C. Frazier at Instagram, E-R-I-C-A-C Frazier, F-R-A-S-E-R. Um, shoot me a DM. Sometimes I'm on Clubhouse if you're on the app. Um, or you can just go into my website, ericacfraser.com, and you can click on the contact button and it'll shoot an email right into my inbox. So that's how you can stay in contact. And Lucid and your essays are available for purchase? Yes. And so you can um, get my book, Lucid, and my Letting Go Guide on my website. And you can also check out some of my essays on there as well. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome. Erica, thank you so much for joining me. I had a wonderful time and I am looking forward to the rest of your journey. And I hope to have you back again soon when... Um, you know, when you have more news to report. <laughs> I, I thank you so much for sharing with me on the Water Word podcast today. Thank you so much for just, you know, your, your willingness and your authenticity as thank well. You. And thanks for having me. Most welcome, most welcome. We have to change the scale of evaluation because if we continue to judge ourselves by the standards set within that imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy, then we never move. Because even if we move, but we still have what I call the voice of judgment. My theory is that the dominating culture depends on the voice of judgment. You know, that even when you're succeeding, you're not good enough. Even when, you know, I didn't think I was a writer, even after I had books published, because you know, for me, you know, what, what did I think a writer would be? What would be the magic moment that I could say, I'm a writer? And that whole thing had to do with my needing some type of validation outside myself. 
to give me power um, and not to be able to think of, you know, power that I can give myself, that we can self-generate. Um, and I worry, and I talked a little bit, and we're not going to talk about Black Lives Matter tonight, but I was saying sometimes I worry because so many of our energies of protest and resistance are outer-directed. You know, last night I asked the audience, what if we took away all the police brutality in our society against black males? Would black males still be, would black males be self-actualized? Is it really police brutality that is keeping black males from, you know, I mean, I think about, I mentioned my brother last night, how my father used to say to him, glory, to me, glory, your brother ain't worth a nickel. And he loved putting my brother down. I mean, it's amazing that my brother could come out of addiction. You know, when I hear people like putting little black children and boys, especially you stupid, you dumb, uh, down, you think, how, how will that person empower themselves from that? How, do, how are we healing from that? And this particular conversation has to do with moving from pain to power. And that's really what we want to discuss about how, how do we, um, as people from oppressed and exploited groups, find our way to joy, find our way to emotional well-being, to healing.